0: Well, good morning. I've got to tell you something I think is kind of cool about that last song we just sang. To the best of my knowledge, it was never written to be sung at church. Um, it was a song that kind of entered into culture and society because it seems that a person had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. They were a musician. They penned the words, they published it, and they put it out there and it circulated and people loved it. In fact, for me, I think one of the first times that probably really landed on my ear was watching American Idol and listening to Simon Cowell go, "I love that song." It's one of my favorite songs. And you kind of look at that, and it kind of blows you away that here's a song that talks about a life-changing encounter with Jesus, kind of circulating through our world, as a person just says, I met Jesus, and he's changed my life. Really kind of cool. It's kind of like how we should be living on a regular basis, right? Just kind of living in our world, living out that testimony, that simple message that, hey, I met Jesus, and he's changed my life. It doesn't have to be loud or pushy or bossy or obnoxious, but that simple statement, that simple declaration, that seems to resonate with people. Because people are looking for answers of hope, and people are looking for, they know they're flawed, and they want to know they're forgiven. So I think it's really kind of cool. So I love it when we sing that song. I think it's a great song too, so... It's fun stuff. (laughs) Well, that's cool. Well, we're going to have an interesting day today because as we look at scriptures today and as we're going to walk through things that are in front of us today, we're going to wade into a few of those wonderful questions that we wrestle with and when we come out of that conversation, and for the most part, some of our questions still aren't answered. Isn't that fun? It is wonderfully fun. But it's also still cool, and there's good things for us to process through and think through. So let me read this morning from Genesis chapter 6, and I want to read down through verse 13, and then we'll have a word of prayer and kind of start to walk into this. It says, When mankind began to multiply on the earth, and, the, and daughters were born to them, I just love this, ladies. I just want to let you know that you're being a problem. (laughs) You are all being too attractive and too interesting to all these individuals. So, really not your problem, it's their problem, but that's kind of fun. It says, The sons of God saw the daughters of mankind were beautiful, and they took any they they chose as wives. For themselves. And the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with mankind forever, because they are corrupt corrupt, their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterward, when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore them bore children to them, and they were the powerful men of old, the famous men. When the Lord saw that human wickedness Was widespread on the earth, and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. The Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth, and He was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind, whom I created off the face of the earth, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the air, for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. And Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had, had corrupted its way on the earth. You hear that statement? Every creature had corrupted its way on the earth then God said to Noah I have decided to put an end to every creature for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them therefore I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. let's have a word of prayer and we'll kind of start to walk through this. Father I just would ask this this morning that as we look at your word as we think through the lessons and principles that are here, Lord, I would ask that you would guide our time. Give us wisdom, discernment, insight, understanding. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, here's the first question. You're going to see it there. What does Genesis 1 and 2 and 4 refer? What's going on here? And let me read it again. It said, When mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of mankind were beautiful and they took any they chose as wives for themselves. The Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterward. When the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind and bore children to them, they were the powerful men of old, the famous men. Now, there are three theories as to what's going on here. So let's talk about it for a second. Here's the first theory. When we look at this language and we talk about the sons of God, overwhelmingly in the Bible, this refers to and talks about heavenly beings in the New Testament Paul uses, or Paul uses it differently and there's maybe one or two other ways it's used differently at different times but in the Old Testament overwhelmingly it's used to talk about heavenly beings and for a long period of time the general theory was that during this period of time those angels that had rebelled against God some of them started to procreate with some of the women of the earth that is one of the theories now to add fuel to that fire some would look at second peter chapter 2 verse 4 and so in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, we read these words. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them to chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment, we'll pause there because we don't have to read the whole context, there's a good chunk of people that would say what went on is that angels were procreating with women of the earth. God judged that. The angels that are being spoken about here are those angels that went beyond the framework of what God had identified. They received a particular area of judgment. They're being held in judgment. Later on, you see these angels being released in Revelation. They wreak particular havoc on the earth. And so that's the first theory. Here's the second theory. The second theory, as we talk about the sons of God or the, these elevated individuals, and people would say the sons of God here are the rulers, the authorities, the powers that have been established now in the new world, in this world that's going on here. And so the individuals who are the power brokers, the kings, the princes, those who have force and, and can impose their will on others they travel around the countryside they see a beautiful woman and they decide I'm going to take her guys she is coming home with me bring her to my place and so they are collecting wives and choosing who they want willy nilly without a care or concern for either the women they're taking or what other people would say or do here's the third theory The theory is that the sons of God would refer to the line of Seth, which we read about and talked about last week. So these are the godly individuals who are slowly falling into the ways of the world. They see these beautiful women, they decide, you know, I think I'd like to take her home with me. And they take her home, they make her a wife, they have children and get drawn away. And so that is the theory that's going on here. So, I know what you'd like me to do. You'd probably like me to say, this is what it means, right? <laughs> Here's the fun part of, of this whole conversation. Don't really know. Because this is one of those times when God kind of tells a story, he makes a statement, but it doesn't really explain it. Now, I have a personal opinion. And that personal opinion is I don't think it's the first one. I don't think we're really probably talking about angels procreating with man. And if you want to pull me aside later, I'll kind of walk through the various themes and and chords that I kind of pull on to kind of come to that conclusion. But I don't think that that is really what's going on. But on the big picture, I really don't know. But, You can't walk through the Scriptures and skip over something that's going on because what's going to happen? You're going to do the same thing that I would do when I sit and walk through a commentary and I'd try to listen to someone who's going to talk about stuff and then they... You come to that part and says, good, finally someone's going to talk about this and they're going to explain what's going on. And you get there and they skip over it. They say nothing and they go to the next point. No, come on! This isn't right! You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm listening to you and talking to you because I want an answer and you're not giving me one. You're really annoying me here, dude. You know, and so I don't want to do that to you. But what I have to say to you is... I don't know really what's going on here except for something significant is going on and it is offensive to God. And it is really ticking God off. Because what's happening is people are giving in to the corruption that is in them because of Adam. They're they're giving in to that inclination to pursue sin, and to pursue wickedness. Instead of choosing, just as that question was presented, Adam, to to Cain, Cain, you have sin lurking at your door, ready to consume you, ready to own you. But Adam, you have to say no, and you have to exercise authority over your life and say no to sin. And we look at Cain, and Cain said, No, I'm going to give in to sin. I'm going to kill my brother. I'm ticked off. I'm angry. I'm entitled to a response. I'm entitled to kill my brother because, God, you didn't accept my sacrifice. And what's going on in our world, what's going on in the world here, is that people are making room in their lives for sin to run rampant and it's offensive to God and if I'm going to pull one thing out of this whole conversation, I'm going to pull one thing out of here let me give you two one, this will be a great question to ask in heaven, God, what was going on there I didn't get it, Andrew talked about it he didn't get it, I've read all sorts of commentaries and study Bibles and all the other kind of stuff, no one else got it either, can you please explain to me what's going on now here's one of the good things that's going on with this no major doctrines are shaped or formed by any of this So, but this is one of those stories one of those events that takes place that we really don't know all of what's going on except receiving the reality of sin now we need to wrestle through are we giving room in our lives for sin Or are we choosing to live in righteousness? Are we choosing instead to honor God and to pursue Him? That's the challenge we need to wrestle through. How about verse 3? You see it in your notes. How should we understand Genesis 6-3? This is another one of those questions that gets debated. Because in the middle of this conversation about this wickedness of man that's going on, We read verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. So people look at this again, and this is one of those things they go, I'm not really sure what God means when he says this. What's he talking about? Because one of two things are probably the big deal. And what's interesting is both are kind of true. So is God saying, okay, I'm done, I'm tapping out, I'm going to give you guys 120 years, and then you're toast. I'm going to send a flood, I'm wiping you out. Or is he saying, you guys, I'm not going to let you live past... um, I'm setting a rule. You're not going to live past 120 years. Now we see some individuals that lived a little bit longer that later on, but we see now the the general consensus, the general rule: people don't live. I mean, you find someone 120 years old, they're going like, "Oh my goodness, they're like ancient," you know. Now we see someone that's in their 90s, we feel that way, but they're going like, "Time out, I'm not 120 yet." So don't give me the, the, the totally ancient designation because I might make it a little longer, but. We don't see many people that are making it past 100, let alone getting to 120. But every once in a while you see someone who kind of creeps up into that zone. Every once in a while. But we see that with all of us, the age and lifespan has really come down. We're reading in chapter 5, 800, 900, 700 years people lived. And so again, the conversation goes, what's God doing, and and what is God really meaning, and what is God really saying when he says, 120 years, I'm going to contend with man, and then it's it. It could be both. What I know is this. In about 120 years after this statement was made, God sent the flood. What I also know is our lifespans life have gotten much shorter. I really don't know to which God was specifically speaking, but either way you want to cut it, both of them have happened. Isn't that fun? Don't you love it when someone says to you, I want you to? And what do you mean? Do you mean this or that? And they go, uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not appreciating that. You're you're annoying me. You're frustrating. Which is it? Uh-huh. And they kind of like that's a little bit what God is doing. Which is it? And God goes, uh-huh. And He doesn't explain it a whole lot more, but both would apply. And then we come to, chap- to chapter six, beginning at verse five. And you see here the overwhelming wickedness of mankind. looking at verse 5. When the Lord saw the human wickedness was when when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with all of the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky. For I regret that I made them. Drop down to verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with with. with With wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its ways on the earth. Then God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I am going to destroy them along with the earth. What do we see? We see the outworking of incredible wickedness taking place on our earth. Now, we talked about this in our life groups a little bit this past week. And we talked about it in particular as we looked last week at those who were creating the loot and the lyre. We were talking about those who were the first to be the ones who would be traveling herdsmen. We talked about it when we saw that this one was a metal worker working with copper and bronze. And you know, as we talked about that, we said, you know... These issues were highlighted because these were the pinnacle of their achievements, but they hadn't really walked with God. And so the, the pinnacle were these things, but they hadn't walked with God. And then as we kind of went to our life groups, we talked about the reality that, you know, part of the, the, the stuff that's going on here in this conversation is we're seeing people who have walked from God, but they may not have chosen to give full vent or full pursuit of wickedness in their lives. So when you talk about someone who's wicked, when you talk about someone who is far from God, and and, and the spectrum of evil starts over here with evil but not giving full expression to it, and over to the piano where it says they're giving full expression and they're giving everything they can to be as wicked and evil as they possibly can, possibly these guys were kind of living over in this zone. They were far from God. They weren't walking with God. They weren't interested in really knowing God. They were pursuing the things that they enjoyed in life. And so some of them enjoyed animals and they became a traveling herdsman. Someone enjoyed, enjoyed music and they started to create music and create instruments. And, and another person enjoyed working with their hands and, and making things and fashioning things and became a metal worker. Now, they were far from God. They weren't walking with God. They didn't love God. But they also weren't as evil or vile or depraved as they possibly could be they were far from God but they were content to live apart from God but just kind of live their life in a calm chill way and be a good neighbor and be honest with the people they did business with but they weren't interested in walking with and knowing God but what's going on here is we're not talking about kind of hanging out in this zone who are far from God but not living as badly or vilely as they possibly can live What we're talking about now is that people have moved way over here. The inclinations of their heart all the time are wicked. The attitudes and motives are always depraved. And they've started to live in this place where they were not just far from God, but they were choosing to actively live in evil, wicked Ways. And what's interesting in the creation process, seven times, it says God looked at everything and he said it was good. And then that last time, when he made Adam and Eve, he says it's very good. And now, a couple of thousand years later, he's looking and he's saying it's very evil, it's depraved, it's vile. We see that in our culture, in our world right now. We see this with Russia deciding, you know, we want our neighbor's land. We want their people. We want their space. So we're going to take it. We don't care who we blow up. We don't care who we kill. We don't care who we displace. We don't care what you say. Fooly on you. We're just going to take it. Try and stop us. And if you try and stop us, I'm going to nail you as hard as I can. And I'm going to do as much damage to you as I possibly can. Because I don't care. So go ahead and Try. And I'm going to get you. And so we have Putin poking his finger in the eye of the world and doing everything he can to stop or stomp on the people of Ukraine and destroy them. Because he's bigger and badder, stronger, and he's going to be a bully. And he doesn't care. We have wickedness in our world that's given full vent in people's lives. But you know there's other things that go in our world that we don't always see that doesn't get splashed on the national news or the global news as the stuff that's going on in Ukraine. We talk about it, we hear about it, but it doesn't always get the play or the attention as the events of this past week. We still have slavery going on in our world. We still have people that have forcefully chosen to oppress and take ownership of other people and to make them their slaves. It still happens. It's still going on. A number of years ago, during President Obama's administration, about 3,000 girls were taken captive. They were never returned. And while a lot of noise was made about that, they're still captive and they're still slaves and they're still unaccounted for. No one knows what's happened to them. The sex trafficking that goes on in our culture today is still rampant. And much of that is not voluntary. What's interesting, you wouldn't think this, but Atlanta is probably the hotbed for where people come into our country and get dispersed throughout our country. But it's happening all over the world. Where women... One here, one there, one there, one there. Women that people think won't get missed, or women that just find themselves in questionable situations and get picked up and carted away and get forced into the sex trade and and become slaves to a process that they can't get out of. We have friends that work in Colombia and they regularly communicate and they talk about the oppressiveness of that government. We can talk about Cuba or we can talk about other countries where governments are in huge significant ways oppressive of their people. My aunt and uncle, not by blood but by family choice, my aunt and uncle fled Cuba during the beginning of Castro's coming forward Uncle Raul's bank was above a school, the rebels came and shot up the school and didn't care that they also shot up the bank up above they were going to start taking kids and bringing them to the army youth camps and taking kids out of their homes and Uncle Raul and Aunt Michan looked at their boys and said we need to go we need to flee to America they left everything, they walked away, they left everything behind And soon after that, the borders were closed and no one could get in or get out. Their one son went back to get family, was one of those boat people we read about years ago, who was stuck on no man's land between Florida and Cuba for a period of time and had to get rescued. Our world is still filled with all sorts of evil. It's not as maybe evil as what was going on during the days of Noah, but our world is still filled with evil, with people who do evil things, whose inclinations and desires of their heart are still to bring hurt, are still to bring harm, are still to be selfish, are still to be self-indulgent who still say, I don't care who I step on, I don't care if I offend you I don't care if I damage you, because you are a means to an end and if I have to go through you, over you, on you, to get there I'm going to do it, because you are a tool in my arsenal to get what I want, and I don't care We look at the events that are taking place here. It offends God. It grieves God. It tears God apart because He is watching those He created. He's watching those He loves do everything in their power to destroy themselves. And God hates sin. He loves people, but He hates sin. And he has to confront it. Now, what's interesting is we talk about these days and Jesus talked about these days a little bit. We see that in, in Matthew. Matthew chapter 24. I have to write, go there. Matthew 24, verses 36 to 38. He says, now concerning the day and hour, talking about the day that he is going to return, and I don't want to go into a lot of detail in this whole conversation, but he says, I'm coming back. Now concerning the day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah boarded the ark. Now here's what's interesting. Noah was building a long time. A long time. About a hundred years. And when you see something really crazy being built in someone's backyard, people do get curious. So he's got something a few stories high and a couple, like, a football field length long. Going up in his backyard. And I don't know if he had permits. <laughs> Dude, what are you doing? What is that thing? And Noah would tell him. And Noah shared the news, and Noah spread the word. But everyone thought Noah's nuts. Oh, that's just Crazy Noah. Ha! Giggle. Hey, let's go today over and check out Crazy Noah and talk to Crazy Noah. Then let's go get ice cream down the way. And they dismissed it, disregarded it, and they kept on living life. Until one day, Noah and his family got in the ark. God closed the door. They kept on living life. They watched all the animals show up. Boy, that's cool. That's weird. And then it started to rain. And then they started to get worried. But they didn't think about it for the hundred years of Noah building the ark. As in the days of Noah. See, what's interesting in our world We have become so accustomed to these terrible, evil things happening. Now we're upset about what's going on in Ukraine, but no one's really doing anything about it. We've been upset about people who are abducted, forced into slavery. But in so many levels, people really don't do anything about it. and becomes a texting campaign, a YouTube video. But the really changing of things and confronting of things and tracking down people and setting people free and holding people accountable that are doing these evil, wicked things, it really doesn't happen nearly as much as it should. Because we become um, accustomed to living with the terrible, evil things that go on around us. As in the days of Noah. We should be paying attention and be aware that there's something else coming in the next stage of the journey. Jesus is coming back soon. We should live that way. We shouldn't live bopping along in life. We should live attuned and aware of what God is planning. And God communicated it to the world through Noah. They didn't listen. They ignored it. One more thing stands out. The importance of righteousness. Look at verses 8 to 10. Despite all of this evil, despite all of this wicked, despite all of these terrible, horrible things that are going on, there is a shining, blazing light in the world. It's Noah. It says, Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, man, blameless among his contemporaries, Noah walked with God and Noah fathered three sons Shem, Ham and Japheth despite all of that garbage despite all of the wickedness around him Noah decided he was not going to live on this spectrum He wasn't going to live down there living the worst he could. And he wasn't going to live over here living a regular kind of vanilla kind of life but still choosing to walk away from God, ignore God, and disregard God. Instead, he chose to honor God and he chose to walk with God. And he chose to shun the spectrum that the world was living on. He chose to walk and to live in righteousness. And God, through Noah, had a voice and a testimony to the world. Now, another one of those verses that makes us scratch our heads, so I'm going to hit three of them with you today. It's all sorts of fun. And we walk at those things and go, boy, Andrew's pulling out those verses that make us all scratch our heads and say, boy, what is God really saying here? And we don't know fully what God is saying here, but we know the essence of what God is saying here. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. Let me go there. I thought I had set it up to go there and my computer was not, my program was not working the way I wanted it to. It says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled either by a prophecy or by a messenger or by a letter supposedly from us alleging that the day of the Lord has come. We're talking about the day of the Lord, i.e. the day of judgment. This is what we read about in Revelation. If you haven't listened to the series we did on Revelation about uh, two summers ago, I'd encourage you to go back and kind of see it online, listen to it online. we talked about this. But it's that time of judgment where God is going to pour his wrath out on mankind, and people are concerned that it 's here that they they missed the rapture they 've missed God calling the church home in their in this period of, of judgment verse three don 't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed i e the Antichrist, the man doomed to destruction, he opposes and exalts. Himself above every so called God or object of worship. So he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this? And you know what currently restrains him. There is a restraint on him, there is a current restraint taking place. So that he will be revealed in the time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming." Now here's the issue that I want you to bring your attention to. The reality is that there is a restraining influence in our world right now. And that restraining influence is kind of functioning uh, as a governor on the evil that is taking place in our world. Any of you go to a golf cart place and want to ride the golf cart? And don't you kind of, if you were like me, you kind of watch the golf carts go around and as you're watching the golf carts going around, you're looking for the one that doesn't have as high a governor as the other ones? Because you get on the golf cart and you floor it. You're like, it's kind of fun, but man, I want the other one. You want the one that goes... My Sorry. But you want the one that kind of hops along. But you know that they have governors on them, that they don't go as fast as they possibly can go. You kind of want to say to the guy, dude, can you kind of like flip the governor off so I can really kind of hit it? But they're not gonna. But they've got governors. They, they are intentionally dampened, slowed down. They don't want us hurting ourselves. And what saying as he's talking to the church in Thessalonica there is a governor on our world hindering the full expression of evil God has chosen to put a governor now again this is one of those things we don't know exactly what the governor is Paul says you know what it is but he doesn't explain it so is it the church is it the Christian is it the presence of the Holy Spirit we don't really know But a general consensus is it's probably the presence of godly men and women. Can I tell you, as a godly individual in our world, you have a voice of influence to call people to a relationship with God and help buffer and protect against the evil and the wickedness that goes on in our world. Your presence and your commitment to walking with Jesus, reflecting Jesus, honoring Jesus, and representing Jesus to our world is hugely important. We all hear the stories about the people that don't know that the F-bomb is a swear word. But amazingly, the person who uses the F-bomb as a regular part of an adjective in their speech has this Christian that they know that walks by and it's all of a sudden their language changes and they stop dropping the F-bomb because they know this Christian is around and this Christian's going to kind of poke them and give them a hard time because of how they speak. Or the guys who get together and they're sitting around the lunch table and they're busy ogling all the girls that are walking by and, and talking about the girls and their, their desires. And then the, the Christian guy who walks up and sits down at the table and says, hey guys, how you doing? And all of a sudden they all kind of change the topic and they start talking about sports. Because this guy's now sitting at the table and they know that if they start talking about the girls, he's going to give them a hard time and he's going to tell them to stop it. So they just go to the conversation of sports because that's safe. Why? What's going on? You're seeing the influence, the governing influence of righteousness taking place. I wrote a question at the bottom. How seriously are you taking your responsibility to be the beacon of righteousness that our world needs and that God wants us to be. Now, it's not written on the bottom of your page. A spot is there to fill it in. But if you look on the back side in the notes, I think question five or six, you're going to see that statement spelled out. But here's a huge question I would challenge you with. How seriously are you taking your responsibility to be a beacon of righteousness that our world needs? And that God wants us to be. People who are living on the spectrum of wickedness think they've got the world and life by the tail. Or some of them are feeling like life is running them over and wickedness is destroying them. But we have the opportunity to step into the context of people's lives. And to point them to Jesus who gets them away from this spectrum of evil and draws them into a relationship with Jesus that transforms their lives now but also transforms and gives them an amazing opportunity in the eternity that they are losing and missing here because they're far from God. We have the opportunity to be that kind of witness in our world and with the people we interact with to draw them to the hope of Jesus to help them experience eternal life and forgiveness of sin and to escape the ugliness of what happens as you live here. How seriously are you taking the challenge and the opportunity and the responsibility to live in righteousness? for Jesus. As we close, I want to do something a little bit different, but I think something that's significantly important. One of those things that we get to do is we get to pray. And we get to cry out to God. I have to tell you fairly candidly that I am overwhelmingly powerless to change the circumstances that are going on in Ukraine. I don't have a gun that's big enough or with enough bullets. I don't have the bully pulpit to confront the bully, Putin. I'm just a country boy who happens to live in Tom's River. Just to share with you the hope of Jesus on a regular basis. And much of us are in that same kind of situation. We don't have that kind of voice to change things, but we do have the opportunity to talk to our eternal God, the one who rules over all things. And I want to encourage us this morning to take a little bit of time to pray. And so I'm going to open it up to us as a church family. I'm going to ask Connor to start, and I'll draw it to a close. This is not time for your your regular prayer time, and please don't pray from hither and yon. I'm going to ask you to kind of focus your prayer time this morning to pray for the circumstances in Ukraine, the people in Ukraine, that God would draw people to himself and protect people all at the same time, that God would allow this to stop. And I want us to take a few moments to do that. Because I think we need to recognize that we can do something. I've got to be honest with you right now. I don't know who to say that we should give money to. I really don't know. Because right now it's a war zone. I don't know really who's going to be in there, who's going to be doing stuff. And lots of people say, give us money, we'll help and we'll do something. But we really don't know, I don't really know yet right now, who I can say this is credible, support them and give some resources to them. But I do know we can talk to God and ask God to meet people's lives. So I'm going to ask Connor to start. And as the Spirit prides you to pray for the people of Ukraine, I'm going to give you the freedom to pray. Speak up so that we can join with you as you pray and hear. And then as I sense closure, I will draw our time to a close. Connor, would you start for us, please?
1: Dear God, thank you that you are I pray that you will remind our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, that neither death nor rulers, nor powers, nor anything can separate them. Your love.
0: Father, I know that as we pray here, you hear those of us that speak out loud, but Lord, you also are listening to each of us as we quietly, personally express to you the burdens and concerns in our hearts for what's taking place for the people in Ukraine. And the Father, all over our world today are your followers and children and other churches and other individuals crying out to you for your intervention and for your grace and for your work. Father, we would ask that you would restrain the evil that is being done. And Father, we ask for those that are being harmed and damaged that you would watch over them. We would ask for protection. And Father, even as we have been asking, that you would use the events to draw people to yourself. Father, I would ask that you would give the leaders of our world boldness and courage to confront this evil. And that they would not be passive. And mute and kind of hold their hands up and say, What can we do? And Father, in the coming days, Lord, I would ask that you would give us wisdom on knowing how to respond. As we will continue to pray, but then Lord, if other opportunities may surface for us individually, Lord, give us the wisdom and discernment to know how else to respond, that there are other things that are appropriate and within the scope of our ability to do. Lord, we ask you to be at work, both as already been asked, both the people of Russia and the people of Ukraine, because Father, even as the stories have come out. Many of the Russian soldiers had no idea they were going to ultimately attack, but they were thought they were involved in exercises. Father, the level of descent the deception and the level of depravity all around this is just it's just vile. Father, be at work despite the wickedness of people. Lord, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
1: It's it's worth looking at that final question. Now, later today, uh, some other day, this week in your life group, how seriously are you taking your responsibility to be the beacon of righteousness? that our world needs and that God wants us to be. If you are taking that responsibility serious or you want to take that responsibility serious, it takes first serious prayer. That is just a first step, not just praying for you, but the other brothers and sisters that they will be a beacon. And what we're going to do now is we're going to have our offering. It's going to go from the back forward and... As it passes you, feel free to stand up with us as we sing to the great God who can make every believer a beacon of righteousness and to the God who is sovereign and in control no matter what happens around the world this week, in 10 years, and forever. So let us go now and pray. Lord, I pray for those here that don't know you Show them the wickedness of their heart and their need for you. And I I pray, God, show them that you are their only hope. And I pray for every single believer here, including me. I pray you will give us a deep desire to be a beacon of righteousness. Help us to walk with you. Start, God by humbling our hearts so we will cry out to you continually. Make me a beacon, God. I pray that you'll be worshipped as we sacrificially give. I pray you will use the money given so we can be a beacon here in Tom's River and so the missionaries we support they can be beacons where you have placed them. Be worshipped as we sing to you our great, sovereign God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Your name. Amen.